This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello, welcome, greetings, lovely to have your company, and gosh, this is the very first of our vegan lounge conversations, and I'm James Jameson, very nice to have you along, and if you uh, have stuck around after the previous program, that's really nice, I hope we've got something that uh, will engage you, and Anybody else who's listening, well, welcome to the very first of these, what I hope are going to be many more programs in our vegan lounge. And I won't talk too much about myself at the moment. I think that's best left to uh, succumbing to questions from our guests. So we'll start with our very first guest and a huge privilege and honour to welcome Yolanda Sorrell. Yolanda, lovely to have you on the program. Kia ora, James. Thanks for having me. Well, I was really nervous about getting underway here, and I, you know, I've suddenly appeared out of nowhere, and so to get your support was uh, a good first tick in the right direction. Oh, vegans are always popping out out of nowhere. Vegans are <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Do you know what? You probably won't remember this, but I have seen you before. You probably see so many people in your vegan life because what is it? Is it the you've been a vegan for 30, 30 years? 30, uh, 32 years 32 now. 32 years. Mm-hmm. And the Vegan Society in Christchurch has been going since, uh, in this incarnation, since about 2002. Yeah. So, about, I think, 2019, I my first time around vegan, and I, you know, summoned up the courage to come along to a meeting, and I saw you there, Uh and um, I then came to a potluck uh, occasion in the old church off um, Beely Avenue on the corner. Knox Church. Yep, and Mm -hmm. that was quite a really good, ate some good food. Yeah. And then there was a really interesting lady who came over from Melbourne. She just came over for the day for a visit, and she gave a talk some... That's her. What's her name? That's Claire Mann. She wrote Vistopia. She's a psychologist. Yes. And she writes about what it's like to be vegan in a non-vegan world. That was it. What a lovely woman. Yeah. That was a very engaging talk. And what um, really impressed me, she just flew in after work that mm-hmm. night and flew out the same night, didn't mm-hmm. she? She had to go back to the airport. So I remember you had to take her or someone had to mm-hmm. take her back to the airport. So, yeah, they these vegans are just pop out of the woods. I will do anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that um, statistics I have heard is that the Christchurch Vegan Society is quite unique, but not just in New Zealand. Now, what is is there a context there? So what's, I think, unique about the Christchurch Vegan Society, because obviously there are a lot of vegan societies around the world and they're very focused like we are on helping people 
go vegan. But what makes us unique is we're also just as motivated to help people stay vegan. Because once you become vegan, it's not like, right, hatch, dispatched, off you go. You need you do need ongoing support because you might be the only vegan in your family or your workplace so that you need to know other vegans, you need to have social networks. Because, you know, there are many people who go vegan but don't last the course because of these pressures on them or they didn't get enough information. So we put a lot of work into maintaining an active community and we have services like Vegan Angel. So if you're going through a hard time, none of the other existing food providers cater for vegans, but we'll pop round with a cake or we'll pop round with some food. Uh, and that we think is the only service of its type in the world for free, you know, just to support and help you. So we are quite unique. Now, if I'd known about that first time round, I mightn't have slipped off the wagon. Yes, we should have pulled you on in. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think once, that must be quite an unusual, quite a normal um, behaviour pattern. And I was reassured by a statistic I read somewhere, or just some observation, that the world doesn't so much need a few or a handful of perfect vegans. Mm. It needs a lot of imperfect vegans. Yeah, good enough vegans. Yeah, and, and you know, so because if someone's even starting down that path, uh, chances are the motivation is there to actually just keep moving in that direction. Mm. I always say that I'm the world's most reluctant vegan. It took me a long time to go vegan, and it was because I didn't want to be somebody who went vegan, and then a year later, oh, it's too hard, I give up. So it took me quite a long time till I got to that point, but once I got there... You know, I, I never look back um, and I needed that really long time to get there. But some people go vegan quite quickly, which is awesome too. But if they're not packing that support around them, it is hard to do it long term because humans are not built to be the only person on, you know, the only vegan yeah. in the village is not the fun place to be. Yeah. Yolanda, so, I mean, that's a long time ago. Veganism was barely a thing, I suspect. That vegetarian was, you know, pretty much a, a you know, everybody kind of knew a vegetarian mm-hmm. or a vegetarian restaurant, and it was part of the culture. But veganism, I mean, what, what, how old were you, and what, what drove you to actually mm. to this point? So I must have been about twenty-five or twenty-six, and I'd been vegetarian for about seven years at that point. So I went vegetarian in my late teens. Mm. Um, I'd always known about vegetarianism. I come from a very working class family and my dad was a freezing worker. My brother was a freezing worker. My sister married a freezing worker. It's got, um, you know, so butchery was like my family tradition. But my brother went vegetarian at the age of four. Uh, he had just because he just thought it was wrong to eat animals. So I, I did know about it. And we did hear more about vegetarianism in the 70s. But I never heard about veganism until the 80s. And that's just because I we didn't have the internet. You know, veganism has been around for a very long time. Mm. Uh, and I, can't, I came across the idea with my friends and my animal rights group in the 80s. And my first response was, oh, that's a bit extreme. Oh, no. you know. And I think I bargained with myself saying, well, the animals don't have to die to give, well, they don't get to have their milk taken. Uh, and then it was slowly when I realised actually they do have to die. You can't have all these pregnant cows running around. Um, what happens to their calves when we take their milk? And same with the eggs. So when I realised actually there is that correlation with death, it became a lot more uncomfortable. And I did that thing of trying not to think about it. Uh, but, you know, essentially I did think about it. And you like to think of yourself as a good person but here you are, like, stamping something down because you don't want to think about it because you don't want to make the change. But in the end, it just, um, yeah, the power of doing the right thing 
became greater. And actually, you know, the hardest thing about being vegan was just that process. Once I became vegan, I found vegan quite easy. Once you make the decision, it's just getting to that decision. I think one of the really hard things that I came across, mm -hmm. probably always been a bit of a pleaser. Yeah. And, you know, you'd go to someone's house and they, you'd have to turn it into this bloody drama about... Yeah. Oh, I'm vegan. Or, 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 you know, what do you do? This silly old joke. What's the joke, you know? Um, how do you know someone's a vegan? They'll tell you. Yeah, and uh, and yet if you don't tell them, they get cross with you. Well, <laughs> you know, you can't win you when you're a vegan. You absolutely can't. And I, I, I had this prior to Christmas and all very kind people. And I thought, no, I can't. It was a very spontaneous invitation. And I thought, I can't. Can't spring I, it on them. I can't. So I'll just go and I'll just eat the salad or whatever mm -hmm. it was. So it just happened to be one of those lunches where there was nothing. And the very kind um, man of the house went out to his garden. He said, can I? Pick you, pull you a couple of carrots, <laughs> and, and it was actually quite sweet. It yeah, was lovely, and, and it was. A, I, I, I loved his heart there. Actually, I thought, yeah, that's nice. Thank you for doing that. And um, so you can, but you've got to be, be a wee bit brave, don't you? Yeah, and I think that just feeds into what I said before about community because you can handle those things, and of course they're going to happen to vegans. You're going to go somewhere, and they don't know whatever. But as long as you've got a place where you can go, where Everyone's the same as you, and we can all laugh about those things. Much easier to handle. Yeah. Harder if you're the only one. Yeah, I've I found this the way to actually really focus this time. I thought the the previous time how I tripped up alcohol. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, and your willpower just kind of dribbles out the door. Um, so I thought, well, I've just alcohol aside until I've got this mm -hmm. totally sorted in my head mm -hmm. and um, it's really been of course it's been a great journey as of 5 kgs has gone wow, really 5 kgs since November and the difference in how I feel and it wasn't as if I was taking a huge amount of alcohol mm -hmm. but it was very much a part of my life and certainly part of my social existence so it does actually um, create interesting little pressures which I think you start turning into games for yourself to actually overcome. And they're not so much problems as interesting challenges mm. rather than actually a problem. Oh, you can have the best experiences being vegan and the worst. Like you might, I've travelled a lot. And one of the reasons I didn't want to be vegan originally, I thought, well, I want to travel. How can I travel as a vegan? But I've actually travelled almost most places in the world and sometimes you'll go somewhere and it's absolutely dire and so you bring out you always have your emergency rations when you're traveling so you bring them out but sometimes you'll go somewhere and you'll get the best meal out of everyone you know I remember once I was in Zanzibar actually and the the backpackers didn't have um, anything vegan and my traveling companion and I were like oh we're going to have to leave the compound which you know was mm. not something the other tourists were doing anyway we ended up in this traditional African village and mud huts and we kind of mimed to this woman what we wanted and she brought us into her mud hut and we squatted on the floor and she made this incredible dish. Now we would never have had that experience if we just stayed at the backpackers and had what everyone else was having. So you see what I mean? You can have like the most amazing experiences because you're forced out to um, or you can, you know, so it's never straight sailing but it's, gosh, it makes life a lot more interesting. Yeah. Hey, I'll, here's a tricky one. I remember seeing a uh, TV program of... Uh, Celebrities from New Zealand going off to really foreign places. I think the top twins went, and there was some um, one particular personality I remember, and he ended up some maybe Yemen or one of those countries there. 
and it was a very poor village. And the old woman where he was staying had cooked him a chicken. Mm-hmm. And anyway, he said <clears throat> to the interpreter, he said, I can't eat that. He said, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. And the interpreter looked horrified and distraught and <laughs> basically said, eat the chicken, eat the chicken. <laughs> and this guy wouldn't eat the chicken. You know, and I looked at the old lady and she was so confused and sort of hurt. Yeah. What do you do there? Eh? Well, luckily that only happens probably once in your lifetime. Mm. It's had, happened once or twice to me too, uh, as well, I, I have to say, because I have travelled off the beaten track. You just deal with it with the resources you have at that time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the fact that he was with somebody who wasn't vegetarian, he could have got him to eat it, surely. There we are. Yeah. There's always a way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just work it. I mean, you work these things out. Yeah. So your mother, mm-hmm. how many kids have you got? I've got four. Four, and they're all vegan. Mm-hmm. They're all raised vegan from pregnancy to yeah. adults now. And they're all adults. Have, yeah. they, have they remained vegan? Uh, two are not as strict as they were, yeah. but they'll be what I would call mostly vegan. So yeah. they don't want to eat cheese or eggs or anything like that. But maybe, like you said, they might not check the alcohol label the way. Okay. Uh, you know, so they might be, mm, and the other two are very strict. Yeah. So that's, you know, so every person is different. And when you have children, you never know how they're going to turn out. I'm really pleased with how mine turned out. They've been raised with those values and they knew why we were vegan. And, you know, back in the day, it can't have been easy. They were definitely the only vegans in their schools and their f- friendship groups, which is why we set up ve- um, vegetarian families group in Christchurch yeah. so that there was always one place they could go where they didn't have to ask, is this vegan? And they got to make friends with other kids like them. So I think people can cope with most things if they have someone who's kind of in their court. Mm. Schools were really understanding about it. Schools were great, actually, usually. And my children went to Kohanga Reo, um, and we were at Kohanga, and there would be a hangi, and they would always have, like, something vegan in the hangi. Yeah, uh, yeah so it's yeah. it's been okay. But, yeah. yeah, not easy always being the only one. But then, you know, they could have, I don't know, have red hair and be the only one in their class. There's always something. Yep, and, you know, there must be something very... Um uh, empowering for them to actually, uh, I think you mentioned, they knew why they oh, were they vegan. they knew why. And, uh, and so they were standing on solid ground. Well, it's interesting because one of my children, who's doing his PhD in um, philosophy and animal ethics, see, when he started philosophy university, he couldn't understand why people needed so much time to process moral concepts. And he said, I think it might be because I've been doing this since I could talk. You know, because from very young, we would talk about our ethics and why we do and why we don't do. But he said it gave him such an advantage Mm -hmm. because he's very familiar. My children do tend to often think about bigger picture before... Um, you know, we live in a time of instant gratification, and my children didn't get that. So if at school the teacher was giving out an ice cream, they wouldn't be able to have it. But the rule was when they came home, they could have two that were vegan. <laughs> so they learned um, to delay gratification, and they still got their treats, so they didn't miss out. And I think that's really helped them all be, like, really good with money and saving. You know, they know how to delay gratification. So there's a lot more benefits to being vegan than just the healthy diet. Because it is interesting how... Uh, you know, over my life, I've, I was raised on a farm, ate meat all my life, and I still, I suppose I would have to say, I still like meat. I still like yeah. the idea of meat, you know, and except... Me too. <laughs> right, oh, good. Yeah. But the fact is, the more you know, um, 
it's just the question, you can't, there's a point where you just have to yeah. realise, I can't actually go there. And if not for the, you know, for any other reason, just the reasons that scientists are suggesting to us, all of us, from climatologists, everybody, the message is coming out consistently. We have, human beings cannot keep eating meat. We have to change our diets if we want to continue living on this planet. I was, um, do you know I'm talking about Thich Nhat Hanh? Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a Buddhist monk. Oh, yes. Wonderful yep. old. Um, died recently, did he? He died just yes. a few weeks ago. That's right. And I came across a um, an interview with him that he did a, He'd had a stroke about maybe 10 years ago, so it must be one of the last interviews he did before he had a stroke. And he said, if people cannot save themselves from their own suffering, how can they be expected to worry about the plight of Mother Earth? And that suffering, to to be aware of those monstrous sheds that we see when we're circling in a plane over West Milton or out mm-hmm. by Rolston, those great big mystery sheds, we know mm-hmm. what goes on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thousands and thousands of chickens or pigs or so. How do, we, how do we deal with knowing that? We actually know that. We know the suffering. There are animals in there that are never going to see the light of day. Um, how, do we, how do we do that? Well, most people compartmentalise. And just thinking about your, you're just talking about your kids. Mm-hmm. See, they grew up as vegan. They knew why uh-huh. they were. It's you'd think in our schools or something we could find a way to um, allow young people to develop that consciousness or conscience. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, we teach them to be kind to others, and then we encourage the killing, the brutal murder and killing of innocent animals just for our taste. You know, we put a sandwich as higher to us in in value than the life of a sentient being. Um, You know, that is a, you know, that's cognitive dissonance, you know, really. And interestingly enough, for my children, I remember when they were young, we were driving down Main North Road and near the Belfast Freezing Works and there was a truck coming towards the works with sheep and my children were like, Mum, Mum, you've got to stop the, you know, they wanted me to stop Stop the the car. And I had to explain to them, I'm like, I can't. And they were but that they're going to kill them. You know, and they, it was just so clear to them that we needed to be doing something about it. And I kind of felt sad as they got older when they realised that they couldn't, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. you can obviously go to vigils outside slaughterhouses now, so it's great to see those. But, um, you know, we probably, um, yeah, we give a very mixed message to children. Love animals. Oh, but, you know, but we don't tell them the truth. But often with children when they know the truth, like my brother at the age of four, when he heard the truth, he stopped eating meat and he's in his 50s now and he's never eaten it since the age of four. And yet we're a very working class family and mum did not give him anything different. He just went without. So, you know, children see. You know that quote, and I'm sure you know this one, Jane Goodall, you, she said to everybody, all of us, you are so important. Every individual really does make a difference. When head and heart work together, then we can attain our true human potential. Mm. And there's so much truth in that, isn't it? That, hey, it does matter. You know, that little thousands and thousands of chickens out there or pork, what difference is it going to make if I don't? But the, the little ripples and waves 
I mean, I probably never would have come this way if it hadn't been for people like yourself and your family and other people who've trodden the, the path and pioneered to actually say, well, there is another way. And you actually won't starve. No, oh no, <laughs> you're going to do quite well. I always think um, the definition of happiness is when your actions are aligned with your values. And that, that, for me, when I finally became vegan, I just felt lighter because I was actually walking the talk. I was living what I believed. And a lot of vegans say this to me, that they just feel, even though it's just them, you just feel at peace with yourself because you're doing your bit to not be part. You know, three times a day, you're not taking part in that suffering. And that's a pretty awesome feeling to feel like that. Yeah. That's a good way for us to wrap up this first conversation, Yolanda. We're going to have many more of these, I hope. Mm-hmm. I want to know, I've asked you to choose a song that has meaning to you, and you've chosen, unsurprisingly <laughs> to me, Chrissy Hine, um, <laughs> him to her. Mm-hmm. Now, where does that fit into your long history and uh, into your musical repertoire? Well, who doesn't love a rock star who gets arrested for speaking up for animals for a start? You know, <laughs> Chrissy Hind has long been an outspoken animal activist and longtime um, vegan, awesome voice. But this song is, you know, there's, there's a lot of depths to this song. Um, which I really respond to, and um, I always have an emotional reaction to it. We played it at the naming ceremonies for my children. I've got it down to play at my own funeral, hopefully a long way away, um, because there's a lot more to it. You know, it's probably, yeah, it's it's got spiritual undertones as well. You know, she's talking about cycles, and that's something I think as humans we don't think much about those in our current culture. Okay, that's a lovely way to end. We'll listen to that with uh, attention. Hmm. Thank you so much, Yolanda, for coming in. I'd like to um, remind listeners that next week, uh, next not next week, fortnight away, um, we're doing this program, by the way, every second, once every half an hour every second week. And Jessica from Mothers Against Dairy has agreed to be a guest to join me in conversation. So thank you very much, everybody, for staying the distance. (laughs) Thank you, you, Yolanda. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Let me inside you Into your room I've heard it slide With the things you don't show Lay me beside you Down on the floor I've been your lover from the womb to the tomb I dress as your daughter when the moon becomes round You'll be my mother when everything's gone And the crown that's grown old I hear 
Just as you 